0: Good. Oh man, I'm gonna be in trouble. That's all right. I'll figure it out. Yeah, I memorized the last two chapters of Deuteronomy, so I'm in good shape. <laughs> I'm okay. <clears throat> if you got your Bibles, open up Deuteronomy chapter 33, and uh, we'll continue. Actually, we'll finish our journey through the book of Deuteronomy tonight. And uh, next week we'll be starting up Joshua. So uh, exciting things happening. Again, as we wind up, we are actually now to the end. His, Moses' last words. And what he's going to share is kind of cool. Um, and, and hopefully it's a concept that, that all of us can kind of lay a hold of. And, and for us to really lay a hold of that concept, let's take a look. at Chapter 33, and we're just going to back up. To verse 52 of chapter 32, it says, Yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. Over and over again, we see God reminding Moses that you're going to see the land, and he takes him to the top of the mountain where he can look into the promised land. But he said, you can't go. You're not going to go there. A lot of people in, in my experience in ministry and coming up uh, as a young man out of Bible college and looking for opportunities, there are often times when you're willing to serve and you're willing to do something, and you maybe you try a door, you see an open door, you walk through, you have an opportunity, and it just doesn't quite click. It's like this ministry is just not a a fit for your gifts or your talents. And maybe somebody had to come along and say, you know, I'm sorry, this is just not going to work out. We, we need to find another opportunity, a different opportunity, a different place for you to serve, or for you to be a part in, in ministry. And when people face that, and most people are going to face it one time or another, when they face it, you can tell where their heart really is with the Lord because you can see what Moses did with that. Remember, Moses spent his whole life trying to lead the children of Israel to the promised land. And because of a failure in his part, God said no. So Moses, in his final words, he could have been bitter, irritated, cranky. He could have complained about that that kind of judgment and it's too harsh and it's not right. And and how is it that, that God would withhold this opportunity for me? But that's not what he did. Listen, this is what he did he goes through and blesses the 12 tribes. Chapter 33, he puts his blessing on the 12 tribes. Chapter 34, he dies. He he didn't look for that opportunity to be upset or or irritated by the situation. What he said was, this door is closed, so I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to be a blessing to the people. I'm going to be a blessing to the 12 tribes. The same 12 tribes that got him so mad that led him down the problem in the first place. But he had a choice to make. And the choice was, when I'm faced with disappointment among God's people, anybody had disappointment among God's people before? You got a choice. The choice is you can get bitter. The choice is you can be cranky. The choice is all these other opportunities, all these other ideas, or... You can say, you know what? I'm going to be a blessing to who I can be a blessing to. And that's what Moses did. Disappointment lied before him, but he made a choice. I, I had a, a guy come and share with me years ago. He was coming up. He came up through the same Bible college I came through, and he was looking for an opportunity. And we, everybody who came out of Bible college where I went, the, the, the initial opportunity for you out of Bible college was the same after you graduated bible college you were qualified to be a janitor that's the first job they give you come out now you come out thinking hey i got a chance to teach i'm pretty soon the pastor will get out the way and just let me have control let me stand up and show my gifts and talents and what they really hand you is a toilet brush and some some uh, comet cleanser whatever And you go cleaning toilets. And real quick, you find out somebody's heart. Because if your heart is to be a blessing to the people in any way you can, to bless the body of Christ in whatever way is possible, if you're not interested in your name in lights, and you're not interested in all these other things that can be trappings within the ministry, you clean the toilets. I knew a young man who cleaned, did nothing. But clean toilets for four years. Today, he's a, a pastor in Arkansas. And he had the most incredible servant's heart I have ever seen on a guy coming out of Bible college. Given the, he had great gifts. He, he was a great guitarist. He could lead worship. He could teach. He had all those gifts. But he was faithful In the little things that God laid before him. And when the Lord opened the door for him, he opened the door wide. He already knew the heart of a man willing to serve. Sometimes we forget that Moses' life, you remember how it started, right? 40 years, being raised up and taught the, the best schools Pharaoh had to offer. And before we smirk on that so much, you realize that the paint that the Egyptians used in the pyramids, we can't replicate today. We can't make paint the last 10 years. The, there's 2,000 years old or longer, 3,000, 4,000, depending on which one you're, you're digging around in vibrant paint still but I don't know my car dingy after the first year after I buy it <laughs> oh, is that what it is and maybe washing it would help too but so we see that th- that they had this this great understanding he was taught all these great things and then he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert being prepared by God to learn how to be A servant. Now, a lot of people forget what the word minister means. And we like to put that nice sound servant on it. Because servant sounds better than what it means. It's a slave. Minister is a slave. Period. And isn't that what Jesus said? The son of man came not to be served, but what? To To serve. He didn't come. Jesus didn't come to have the best parking place in the parking lot, did he? He didn't come to make sure he was exalted over everyone else. That wasn't his. He came to serve. And then he would look to those, the 12 disciples that would come after him, and he would say in John chapter 13, these things that you've seen me do, what did he do in John chapter 13? You remember? He washed the disciples' feet, all of them. That includes Judas. And then he said to them, what I've done to you, now you go and do likewise. Be a servant. Be a servant. And we see that heart in Moses here in chapter 33 because instead of being disappointed, he's going to spend his time, his his last opportunity talking with the people to bless them. And in the blessings as we go through, they're prophetic. The blessings here we see in Deuteronomy chapter 33 kind of coincide with the, the blessings of Jacob on the 12 tribes in Genesis chapter 49. So again, he's blessing over the tribes, and in that blessing there's, there's a prophecy about where that tribe's going, what's going to happen in that tribe. And we all know when we see the 12 tribes, how many tribes are there really? 13. So there's always one missing, Right. And understanding the reasoning behind which one's missing and why, it has little tidbits of information for us. In this one, the tribe that's missing is Simeon. Simeon and Levi, by Jacob, had a curse that they were going to be dispersed, spread out among all the other tribes. Levi, we see, making a choice in the book of Exodus to stand with God against idolatry. And so Levi is dispersed as priests throughout all the other tribes. Simeon just kind of, is always going to be a very small tribe and always going to be dispersed among the other ones. It never rises to the the possibilities that the tribe had because of the the sin, especially between Levi and Simeon. They, they, They like to get into trouble. And they... You remember standing up for their sister Dinah slaughtered a whole bunch of men in in a at a city that was repentant and and looking for a relationship with the Lord, and they destroyed all the men and were at least the driving force behind that. And so they bore the brunt of that curse. So Simeon we're not going to see. As we look at chapter 33, it begins. Now this is a blessing with which Moses The man of God blessed the children of Israel before his death. For those of you who keep track of such things, that's the first mention of the man of God in the Bible. First time. Now, following the the, uh, biblical laws of interpretation is called hermeneutics. One of the principles of hermeneutics is a law of first mention. That means the way something's used the first time it's used is a key to the defining of what that is Throughout Scripture, And that means that Moses being called a man of God, the life of Moses, the, the, the examples we see of Moses, becomes a symbol to what a man of God is throughout Scripture. So here the first time man of God is used, is used of Moses. The man of God, he blesses the children of Israel. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir, he shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of his saints. Now, he's talking about, he's looking back at the day when God descended on Mount Sinai and brought the law to the children of Israel. Don't lose sight. When the law was brought to the children of Israel, there, it was an incredible thing to behold. It wasn't... Uh, Guy standing in the darkness saying, okay, here's what God's saying. That's not what it was. You had the smoke and the fire, the pillar and the cloud descend upon this mountain. All around the mountain, almost like a little tornado going around that mountain. And you have lightning and thundering. And then Mount Sinai kind of a, is a, it looks like a giant pulpit almost. And from Mount Sinai comes the voice of God speaking out loud the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. There was not a wonder if there's a God thing going on. There wasn't the day of PA systems. There wasn't some guy behind a curtain somewhere like in the Wizard of Oz talking in a mic and there's a big head, you know. No, this is God himself speaking from Mount Sinai to the people, and the people were so blown away, they're like, we can't handle this, Moses. You go talk to them. You know, they were kind of freaking out about the whole deal. So Moses spoke to God face to face. He went up and spoke to God and then would bring... Uh, the Ten Commandments, and the sacrificial system back down to the children of Israel. So this is what Moses is talking about. He's saying, remember that day when God came, when we saw the lightning and the thunder and the fire and the smoke and the earth shook? You remember that? He's reminding them of that time. And the fact that God was there with 10,000 of his saints, that's millions of angels surrounding you know, the Lord in this place there on Mount Sinai. And then he says, from his right hand came a fiery law for them. A fiery law that was laid out for the children of Israel. And that was brought in. We remember when the law came to the children of Israel, what occurred on that day? The law comes down the mountain, Moses bringing the tablets... We have the children of Israel building a golden calf and worshiping the golden calf because they needed a symbol of God. And immediately on the day that the law comes into the land, man broke it. 3,000 people died condemned by the law. Condemned by the law. On the day that the church was born and the Holy Spirit came into the life of the believer... 3,000 people were saved. Same number. Over and over again, Scripture tells us that the law reveals, it shows us our need for a Savior. It reveals my sin. It does not, the law does not have the ability to save me. I can't keep the law based on what the law says. And you guys know it's true. Because you're going to drive out of church, and you're going to get going down the road, and there'll be a sign that says 25... And yet you're going to do 30. And you're going to say, I can do 30 because they won't give me a ticket for five miles an hour over. Well, guess what you just did? You broke the law. So the law shows that rebelliousness within us. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He brought that life. 3,000 souls died the day the law comes in. 3,000 souls saved when grace is born. But... The reason God gave the laws in verse 3, look, yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. The whole reason God is working through the people is because he loves them. He loves them. And he wants them to have a relationship with him and then he goes on to say not only that listen they sit down at your feet that is a stance of a person who wants to learn from the master you remember mary and martha right where do we see mary over and over again with jesus sitting at his feet he would teach she was sitting at his feet to learn to receive Here God is saying, listen, His people, they sit down at your feet and everyone receives your word. How do we learn about God? How do we come to understand what God wants? How does our faith grow? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Studying the word of God equips us to grow, that our faith might grow. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. Now, oftentimes, it's not a hard, fast rule, but oftentimes you can tell a lot about the nation of Israel based on which name God uses when he's talking to them. When God's talking about Israel and he uses the word Jacob, Jacob means deceiver, supplanter, liar, cheater, thief, sinner. So he's saying, here's the instruction, the law, to show Jacob his nature. Because when Jacob's following the Lord, what does he call him? Israel, which means governed by God. Governed by God. Shows the two natures of our natures, right? We have a flesh nature, the Jackie that's all messed up, and we have the spirit nature, the Jackie that wants to walk with the Lord and do the things that are pleasing of Him. Sometimes I walk in my flesh. I'm Jacob. Sometimes I walk in my spirit. I'm Israel. Who? Am I living my life to obey myself or the spirit that's within me? And here, the Lord lays that out, a heritage for the congregation of Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun. Now, Jeshurun is like a pet name from God of Israel. It means my little upright ones. It's like my cute little upright, you know, like when you see your, your, think of a small child walking and you have all those you know, pretty little pet names for your for your child when they're small. You, you, you're not calling them the things you call them when they're a teenager. It all changes. It all changes at that point. We have, and so this is what, the Lord has this little pet name, my upright people. The God was their king. When the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel come together. And then he begins to give blessing. Now here's a challenge. The blessing is not in birth order. The blessing is in order, I believe, in the order of the, the, where they were in the land, the, the inheritance that they had in the land of Israel. So he's going to go by order of the land that they had in Israel as he goes through these names. And he begins with Reuben. Listen, he says, Let Reuben live and not die. Nor let his men be few. Now remember Reuben, Reuben's the oldest. Reuben was the one who would have carried the birthright for the family, but he took his father's concubine and he slept with her. Remember, a concubine, we sometimes think of a concubine different than biblical sense. A, a biblical concubine is a wife without any rights, they're married, but she has no inheritance. And that was against the law, God's law, for a son to sleep with one of his father's wives. Kind of weird. But that's what Reuben did. And Jacob said, Reuben, because you did this, you're going to be puny. You're always going to be small. You're never going to have, you're never going to be a mighty tribe. And here, Moses says of Reuben, you know, Hundreds and hundreds of years later, he says, Reuben, let Reuben live and not die. It's, it's like a tepid blessing. He's saying, you're not going to excel, but you're not going to disappear either. You're going you're to survive. Let, let, his men, let not his men be few. Let him have a few. He's always going to be one of the smallest tribes in Israel based on the choices that are made. Now, the Scripture tells us, guys, That the sins of the father follow the son, right? Sins of the father are passed on to the son to the third and fourth generation. When it's talking about that, it's talking about the example that a father lives out before his children is passed down. They have a tendency to go where dad went. If dad was an alcoholic, they go where dad went because they watched dad do this. What we need to get away from is the concept of a generational curse that says God Forces that on the third on the third and fourth generation. Because God declares in Ezekiel, I hate the proverb that says, your fathers ate sour grapes and the son's teeth fell out. God says you're responsible for your choices. The tendency is laid out. You guys understand what I'm saying? So the tendency is made. So because of the way I walk, I'm, I'm going to wear a... a a pathway, if you will, through this field. And my son very likely will walk up to that field and just follow the same path because it's already made. But that son has a choice to follow that path or to follow the Lord. That's why he says the sins of the father, it's a message to the father. Think about what you're doing because your children are following you. The message in Ezekiel is to the children. Hey, your dad is not responsible for your choices. You're responsible for your choices. So we want to understand that as well. The tendency is laid out, but it's up to the children to, to go ahead and walk. In verse 7 he says, And this he said of Judah. Now Judah means the praise. Hear, Lord, the voice of I love that phrase because if you just use the meaning of the word Judah, it says, Hear, Lord, the the voice of praise. And through Judah comes whom? Yeah, he's kind of an important character in the scripture, right? Through Judah comes Jesus. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Genesis chapter 49, uh, Jacob, prophesying over his children, says of Judah that the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. That means Judah will have the the ability to govern themselves until Messiah. And there came a time in history where rabbis ran out into the streets and tore their cloaks because Rome had taken away their right to declare capital punishment. They could no longer stone on their own. They had to go to a Roman authority to get the okay to kill someone who was guilty of a capital crime. And they said, the word of God has failed for the scepter has departed from Judah and Shiloh's not here. Except if they had just walked over to the temple because there in the temple about that time was a 12-year-old boy blowing away the priests by his knowledge of the word. His name is Jesus. And he will be the fulfillment of that promise to Judah in Genesis. Now as we look here in Deuteronomy, what Moses has to say, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may you be a help against his enemies. Bring him to his people through the tribe of Judah would come Messiah. Now, don't lose sight of all the pictures in Judah. In order to enter into the tabernacle, you entered in through which there's only one door, right? And the one door was on the east side of the tabernacle, the only door... And there was one tribe that he had to walk through to get to that door. The tribe of Judah. Who's the door? Who's the way? The One way. Only one way to come to the Father is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the door, right? How many doors were there? One. one. So we can't get confused that he was some other door. He was the door that he had to pass through the tribe of Judah to enter into the tabernacle to come to the place where you would worship the Lord. So over and over again throughout the Old Testament we see Little pictures, little glimpses that Jesus will come through Judah. And this is part of the the blessing laid out. Hear, O Lord, the voice of praise and bring him to his people. He goes on in verse 8 to Levi. Now the tribe of Levi, he said, Let your Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One. Huh? For example, try to say Thummim ten times fast. Put Urim and Thumum together. You're Urim and Thumum. Urim and Thumum. It's not very easy. What was the Urim and Thumum? Lights and perfection. The lights and perfection. Nobody really knows what the Urim and Thumum was exactly. There's, there's several different ideas. It means lights and perfection, it was the way God spoke to the high priest. He gave them direction through the Urim and the Thummim, the lights and perfection. Some say that on the breastplate of the high priest, there was a stone for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and that the stones would light up in an order, and as they, whatever order they lit, lights and perfection, whatever order they lit, that was a direction. That was the word of the Lord. Others say it was simply a, a white stone and a black stone, and, and it... Lit up or vibrated or did something. And the priest understood yes or no from the Lord. We don't know. All we know is. Urim and Thummim was how. The tribe of Levi. Received the word of God. And he says let. Your Urim. And Thummim. Be with your Holy One. Holy One. Is always a description or an analogy of the Messiah. The Coming of Christ. You want your lights of perfection, your direction? Let your direction come from Messiah. Find your direction from Jesus for you and I. Following him. In 1 John 2.6, you remember what it says? All who say they abide in Jesus Christ ought also to walk as he walked. He said, if any of you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and do what? Follow me. Just as he said in John chapter 5, I am following the father. Like a son following his father. He says, I'm following my father. And then he says to you and I, follow me. Follow me. As he would show us the way. So Levi, he says, whom you tested at Massah, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah. That is the waters of contention, the waters of strife. And he's saying, with your Holy One, whom you contended against, who you are. You ever argue with God? When the nation of Israel did, there were times they were angry about this water. The water's bitter. So they threw in a piece of wood. The wood symbolizing the cross. You apply the cross to the bitter waters of life and they become sweet. And the people could drink it. So let your direction come from the Holy One, whom you contended against, the guy whom you you were arguing with in the the wilderness, who says of of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. So they will teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. What did the tribe of Levi get? What was their blessing? What was their inheritance? The Lord was their inheritance. God was their portion. So the Lord says, because when, when in, in Meribah, when there was this big contention against the Lord, and when there was a big contention against the Lord at the, the calf, the golden calf, and Moses said, who will stand with the Lord? You guys remember who stood up? Levi. And because Levi stood up, the Lord said, you are going to teach your people. Because you were, you, were, you were more concerned with standing with the Lord than with your fathers and mothers and brothers and all the other friends and family. You were willing to stand and say, I'm on the Lord's side. So God said, I want you to teach. You're going to teach the law. And that was the role of Levi throughout the nations. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They will put incense before you and a, whole, and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Again, the tribe of Levi was responsible with the worship of the Lord God. <clears throat> Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. So Moses' blessing on the tribe of Levi. <clears throat> then of Benjamin... Benjamin is the youngest of the 12. He is the last son born of Rachel. Rachel dies in childbirth. Of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. It's a concept of being between the shoulders in a place of strength. In a place where you're sheltered, where everything's gonna be okay. That's what the, the, the blessing over the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin's gonna become a, a strong, powerful, warlike group of guys. They go through some hardship, almost get wiped out at one point. We'll study a little further. But God has a plan with them. In Jerusalem, the tribe of Benjamin would own the land of a certain mountain. That mountain would be called Mount Moriah. On Mount Moriah, there is a certain rocky formation called Golgotha. The place where the sacrifice will be made. And that is part of the land that Benjamin is going to receive. Here he says, The beloved of the Lord will dwell in safety by him, who shelters him all the day long, and he will dwell between his shoulders. And then he goes on, And of Joseph, now that's the firstborn of Rachel, and of Joseph, he says, blessed of the Lord in his land. Now in Genesis, Jacob says that Joseph is a fruitful bough. There's lots of fruit that's going to come from Joseph. Here's another thing. If you ever do a study of the life of Joseph, there is more than 100 ways in which Joseph is a type of Christ. So as you do a study of Joseph, take a look at his life, because over and over and over again, he's going to show a picture of Christ in his life and the things he goes through. Blessed of the Lord with the precious things of the heaven and with dew, and the deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth in its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. What bush are we talking about? The burning bush. Who was it that dwelt in the midst of the burning bush? And the burning bush is lit by the Shekinah or the Shekinah of God, the glory of God overwhelms and the bush has flames all around it but it's not consumed. The scripture lays out for us that Jesus is the burning bush. That he is the representation of God. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father, he reveals God to us. Those physical manifestations of Almighty God, God the Father, always come back to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So here he says, He has the favor of the one that was in the center of the bush, the burning bush. Let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Now when I look at that, listen, a lot of guys when they study the life of Joseph... They they'll bust Joseph's chops a little bit in the beginning of his life saying that because his father favored him, he had a bad attitude and he he thought, you know, he was too big for his britches, you know, and and so God took him through all those things in his life and it brought the humility that he needed to lead. Maybe they're right. But what I see in the life of Joseph is Joseph cared more about his father than he cared about anybody else. He cared about how this looked to dad. How does this look to my father? Reminds me of somebody else. Reminds me of Jesus saying, I only speak the words my father gives me to speak. I only do the things my father gives me to do. And I think for me, it pictures that attitude that says, hey, I'm going to stand with my father, whether it's popular or not. Oh, I can make it so my brothers uh, will receive the word better, but the brothers were wrong. Weren't they? Every time Joseph busted them, instead of pointing your finger, see, this is what we do as people, right? Oh, yeah, you know, he's a snitch. He wouldn't have nothing to snitch if you hadn't done nothing wrong. But I don't want to have to look at myself and the fact that I did something wrong, so I point my finger and say, he's a snitch, he's a tattletale, he's a whatever. And I think that is what I see in Joseph. So when the scripture says he was separate from his brothers, that was how he was different. There are some believers who love God that way. That It's not about what everybody else thinks, how someone else looks at it. They're like, I just want to do what I believe God's called me to do. And that's primary. And And, and, you know, with that, we we want that tempered with wisdom. But at the same time, if I offend somebody, I want to offend them because they're offended at what Jesus said, not what Jackie said. But I don't want to be so ashamed of my Savior that I keep it squelched. I know I feel like I should say something, but I'm not going to say nothing because I might hurt their feelings. That wasn't... Jesus, when he needed to say something to the Pharisees, he let them have it, didn't he? He brewed a vipers, John the Baptist said. Uh, that wasn't a very popular saying at that time. It's a little more popular today, right? Could be another motorcycle gang or something that we see in the Bible, right? <laughs> Could be. I don't know. But we'll, we'll, we'll take a look. But as we take a look, he was separated from his brother. His glory is like a firstborn bull... And his horns like the horns of a wild ox. Together with them he will push the peoples to the ends of the earth. Now Joseph, horns are always a symbol of power in scripture. So the wild oxen, big horns, a lot of power. And he's going to push a people to the ends of the earth. He's going to be a driving force all the way to the end of days. And then he talks about two more tribes... Ephraim and Manasseh. What's interesting about that? Ephraim and Manasseh are both sons of Joseph. They're Joseph's kids. But they were adopted by Jacob, right? Jacob adopted the sons. And you'll remember when Jacob adopted Joseph's sons, he put his hand on the youngest, his right hand on the youngest, and his left hand on the oldest. And Joseph, thinking his dad was crazy, Dad, 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 you got it wrong. You got it wrong. You switch the order, and Jacob said, I know what I'm doing. Because the youngest is going to be greater than the oldest. And so that's how Jacob prophesied over him. So what do we see here in Moses? Moses says, they are the ten thousands of Ephraim, the youngest, and the thousands of Manasseh the oldest. So he's saying Ephraim is going to be greater. It's going to be bigger, a bigger tribe than Manasseh. And we see that coming to fulfillment. Verse 18, he speaks of Zebulun and of Zebulun. He said, rejoice Zebulun in your going out and Issachar in your tents. Rejoice Zebulun, you're going out as they go into that victory. And then he's saying, Issachar, rejoice that you're going to be setting your tents. They're going to cross over the Jordan River. You're entering into the promised land. Rejoice. Rejoice in your going in and rejoice in your tents that you're going to inherit the land. This is places given to you. They shall call the peoples to the mountain and there they will offer sacrifices of righteousness. For they shall partake in the abundance of the seas and of the treasures hidden in the sand. They're going to dwell between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. And there'll be a people from which you're going to see Peter, James, John, all those guys come. It's fishermen. They're living on the shores of Galilee or on the Mediterranean Sea toward Joppa. So... This is where they're going to that's where they're going to settle in the land. And of Gad, he said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He dwells like a lion and tears the arm and the crown of his head. Gad is one of the places when King Saul puts out the call, or when King David says, I need I need help with the army. Gad always sends this huge number of guys willing to fight, willing to go to, to battle for the Lord. And so the Lord says, you're, you're like the, the lion. You're, you're tearing and, and ripping. You're going to be fierce and warlike. He provided the first part for himself because a lawgiver's portion was reserved there. And he came with the heads of the people. He administered the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. So God, he's going to be a big part of the military and the and the forces that are going to be aligning themselves along with King David and before him King Saul. And of Dan he said, "Dan is a lion's whelp and he will leap from Bashan." In Genesis 49, Jacob says of Dan that he's a serpent. Dan is going to be the first tribe to enter into idolatry. Dan is going to despise their inheritance, the land that God gives them, and they're going to move north to Bashan. They're going to move from the inheritance that they were given, the the land that God gave them, they'll reject that land, and they'll move north. And when idolatry enters into the northern Part of Israel, it comes through Dan first. When the nation divides into two parts, north and south, the center of worship in the northern will be in Dan, where they will set up two golden calves and worship false gods. So Dan is through the tribe through whom that jaunt into idolatry is going to occur. And he's going to move north to the farthest. Still today, you go to Israel... Dan's as far north as you can go. And of Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the west and the south. Naphtali is going to be in the area of Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin, all places where Jesus is going to minister, where he's going to he's going to actually speak curses to Chorazin and Bethsaida. And, uh, and Capernaum, ultimately, saying that if what he had done in those places had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, the people would have repented in sackcloth and ashes, the works that Jesus does in those places. But here, Naphtali, he's going to—he's satisfied. Life's good enough. Everything's good enough. So when Messiah comes and he brings all those signs, they're, they're, they don't go. They don't follow. They don't reach out. <clears throat> Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. And of Asher, he said, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers, and let him dip his foot in oil. He's going to have the area of Israel that has more olive trees on it than anywhere else. There'll be an abundance of, of olive oil. There'll be abundance of fruitfulness in the land that he has there. So that concept, let him dip his foot in oil. There's so many olive trees, he can't hardly walk without dipping his foot in oil because of all the olives that are going to be in his land. Your sandals <clears throat> shall be iron and bronze, and your days so shall your strength be. So it's going to be a powerful tribe coming from the tribe of Asher. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, the God of my little upright one, <clears throat> the God of, of those who would serve the Lord God, who rides the heavens to help you, and in his excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. So the Lord again is saying, listen, here's the blessing or or Moses laying out to them. As you follow the Lord, he goes before you and he gives you the victory. The same way today. Same way today. How do we want to live our life? How do we want to go forward in our life? Follow the Lord. Go where he leads. And he gives a victory still. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with following him, being obedient to him. Then Israel will dwell in safety. The fountain of Jacob alone. In a land of grain and new wine. His heavens shall also drop the dew. One of the ways Israel is watered. All water is what they call living water. That phrase living water in Israel means water that comes from the heavens or out of the well. It's water from God. That's what living water means. Water that comes in rain, water that springs up in the wells of the ground, or the dew that the Lord brings to water the crops. He's, he's, it's all water, that living water that comes from the Lord. Happier you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. Everywhere you read that phrase, high places, we're talking about places of idolatry or idol worship. High places sometimes were on top of hills, sometimes were down in valleys, but they were platforms built up and they got the name high places. They're built up off the ground and that's where they would participate in the variety of different types of idolatry that the peoples in the land of Canaan were into. So the Lord says, tread all that down, wipe it all out. What do we see actually occurring? They get there, they get tired of the battle, they get tired of the fight, they make peace, they begin to worship just like everybody else. And currently, we find ourselves on the wrong side. Now I want you to think about it. Who, how many times has has an Israeli terrorized the United States? How many planes did they hijack? How many planes did they fly into the Twin Towers? How many people have they blown up? What we see is the people who have done that are the people that have our support right now, that we're supporting in a variety of struggles, whether it's in Libya or it's in Syria or it's in any of the other places. That's who we're backing, the enemies, and not Israel. We're on the wrong side. We're on the wrong side. Well, we're neither. The cool news about Gog and Magog is that we're so much not a player when that occurs that I don't, I don't think our future is very bright. <laughs> so you don't need to wear shades. Yeah, the, the truth is Gog and Magog, one is the ruler, the other is the country, and it speaks of Russia. Russia currently has treaties with those nations around uh, Israel, Syria, <clears throat> Lebanon, Iran. <clears throat> They'll work towards Iraq at some point, and they're trying to, to work a deal with Turkey. Turkey right now is a huge player. Why are they a huge player? Because for hundreds and hundreds of years, they wanted, oh, please let us in NATO. Please, please, please. And we're like, oh, you know, you're just turkeys. We don't want you in. <laughs> so we didn't really let them in. And then Russia starts to say, hey, we'll let you in. You can be a part of Uh, of, of the, the Warsaw Pact. Come on, We'll, we'll work out a deal with you. And then all of a sudden, so now there's this little power play for who has Turkey. Ultimately, Turkey will be with Russia, Gog and Magog, when they march against Israel. And I think that table's being set right now. You watch the news. All those countries are in an uproar right now. You've got all kinds of, of chaos. People want different governments to come into play. And, and so the, the, the people who want to come into power, all they need is that, that little Russian buddy to come up behind them and say, hey, we'll help you out. They don't have to fight. They don't have to do nothing. Hey, we'll help you out. We'll support you in this. You know, here's a few AKs. Go do your thing. And when it's all done, you side with us. And you're going to have, you're going to see that pack come together all around Israel. Ezekiel says that Israel will be attacked and be surprised and unable to defend herself and God will deliver. God wipes out the armies of Gog and Magog. And the description in Ezekiel almost perfectly describes the type of crews that would go around after nuclear explosions and do cleanup. They're going to mark the graves with little flags. They're going to bring a special crew in to bury the dead because of the contamination that it's a part of it the the fires the the weapons that are burnt as a result of god 's judgment on that army are going to burn for i think it's seven years, which is a shelf life of uh, nuclear nuclear armaments so you know all these things kind of point to hey we'll find out when it happens, but they kind of point to a reality now just just to throw some random information out there, as we consider Gog Magog coming down, this war in Israel, this thing that, that maybe is on the horizon somewhere, and let's say that when that happens, one of the things Ezekiel says is he's a little God's a little upset at the countries who see and do nothing. They're, they, they're just watching from the sidelines. God's not very happy. In fact, He calls them the coastlands. One of the things you can certainly say about the United States is it has... Coastlands around it. They also call it the Young Lion of Tarshish. Tarshish is Britain. Young Lion would be a young country that came from Britain. Uh, could be the United States, possible. It's possible. Can't say dogmatically that that's what it's talking about. Could be. Perhaps part of that judgment is who knows? When the Middle East starts fighting, who knows who launched what where and what happens? What was to occur? Let's say that in that there's this, this massive attack, this war against Israel. We're, we sit back. We're not doing anything. At the same time, there's an attack on the United States. And that attack that's on the United States, maybe they carry in a, a nuke or they plant a nuke somewhere in the United States. And they set this bomb off in the, in the United States somewhere. And at the same time all that's going on, Jesus Christ calls his church home. Now, if that happens, a lot of people aren't going to be saying, what happened to all those people? They're going to say, bombs went off, people blew up, people died. Sure, there will be people saying, hey, uh, there was no bomb here. <laughs> but it all speculation, total speculation. But it's interesting to think about, could such a thing be The way all that comes together. The United States is not a player. Not a player. In end times prophecy. It's not there. Not in the way it is today. And I think we can see it declining now. Do we really have that much power in the UN? The UN pretty much does what it wants. Once upon a time the UN did what we want. It's not that way anymore. It's not that way. So things are changing. Things are changing. Getting exciting we get back in chapter 34, it says, Now, all of Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, to the city of palm trees as far as as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is a land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Now, one of the things the scripture lays out is that he was as alive as he had ever been. And at the word of the Lord, he went home to be with the Lord. Moses didn't fade away, didn't get sick, didn't just wither away. God said, Moses, it's time to come home. And Moses... Went home. Just like that. He was with the Lord. Now, here, beginning at verse 5, we probably have the true beginning of the book of Joshua. Why do I say that? Because Moses is dead. If Moses is dead, he's not writing anymore. And the next guy that comes on the scene is Joshua. Joshua begins to write. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley. In the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Why is that important? What do you think they would do around the grave of Moses right now? I'll tell you, you know that the cave of Machpelah is still in existence. The cave of Machpelah, there's important people buried there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Leah, Sarah, Rebecca buried in in these tombs. Not a tomb like it, or maybe this is a tomb. No, the bodies of Abraham, who we read about in the book of Genesis, is in the tomb at the cave of Machpelah, which Herod the Great built a giant structure around. And if you have a bulletproof vest and a bulletproof van, you can go there. Unfortunately, because of the unrest in... In Israel, the last several years, I've never had the chance to go. Pastor Gerald, one time, we had a, 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 a couple of days before a group came out, and he took a taxi and went and got to go to the cave of Machpelah. And the cave of Machpelah is a worship place where people come to worship at the grave of Abraham. It's divided in two, half for the Muslims who venerate Abraham because he's the father of Ishmael. And the Jews who come and worship him because he's the father of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of the children of Israel. So it's divided into two. They still worship there today. God buried Moses. And we also know that Michael and the devil fought over the body, right? Now what the scripture declares, Michael contended with Satan and ultimately said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. God took the body of Moses. Why? He still has plans for the body of Moses. He still has plans. Now, in truth, I don't really believe God needs the body of Moses to do what he wants to do with Moses. But, you know, for some reason God was involved, right? God was involved. Where do we see? Next time we see Moses and Elijah, we see Moses and Elijah together at the Mount of Transfiguration appearing before Christ. With Christ, speaking with him, and the disciples see him. And for that reason and a few others, some people believe that there'll be the two witnesses in the book of Revelation that come to Israel. We, we know one's Elijah. And there's some discussion. Huh? The law and the prophets? Could be, could be. We'll, we'll, we will hopefully have ringside seats. We'll be able to see. Scripture goes on to tell us in verse uh, 7, Moses was 120 years old when He died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. So the Bible says he's not sick. God just said it's time to come home, and he died. He went home to be with the Lord. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. That's important. I have that underlined in my Bible because there are some times in life where we think the days of weeping and mourning are never going to end. But they end. And God continues to move forward. We think, how are we ever going to get through this? Or how can we go beyond this tragedy or that? But God's plans continue to move forward. The days of mourning came. And the days of mourning ended for Moses. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him. And did as the Lord commanded Moses. But listen here. 10, 11, and 12. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, who the Lord knew face to face, in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land. And by all that mighty power and all that great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel, there was never another prophet like him. Up As we close, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18 because I do want to remind you of one section of Scripture. As we close up the book, Deuteronomy 18, beginning at verse 15, says, And the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desire to the Lord your God in Horeb, Sinai, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see his great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. A section of Scripture speaking of the prophet like unto Moses is a messianic prophecy looking to the Christ. There was not another prophet like Moses who saw God face to face except for the Son of God, Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist was baptizing, you remember the Pharisees came to him and they said to him, Are you the Christ? And he said, No. And then they asked him what? Are you the prophet? That's that prophet from Deuteronomy chapter 18. And he said, No. And then they said, Are you Elijah? And he said, No. The prophet was Jesus Christ, one likened to Moses, through whom the power of God moved. Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, God doing his work here, God revealed to us. It's interesting, too, at the same time, you consider that, look at what Moses said. God, who shall I say has sent me? When he went to the children of Israel, God said, tell them I am. What did Jesus say when he came? I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the door. I am. I am. He reveals God to us. He's God in the flesh. Revealed so that we can see a prophet fulfilling that though there was no other prophet like Moses it spoke of, The Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, Jesus Christ, come in the flesh. That closes up the book for us. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time. We can study your word for an opportunity just to, God, draw near unto you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that, Father, you would uh, just help us uh, to allow our hearts to receive the word that you bring. And apply it and realize... When you are speaking, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're speaking to us from Deuteronomy, from the law, from the first five books of Moses. Because in them we see you. In them we understand your requirement. In them we see your holiness and your righteousness and your grace and your mercy. Still evident in your son today. Lord, we pray that you would equip us, enable us to grow, to draw near, Father, that we might glorify you. We thank you for this opportunity, and we look forward as we study the victories of, of Joshua and the similarities in, in the victories of Joshua and, and the things that we see within the church. So, so dramatic as we look. We look ahead, but Father, we thank you for where we've come from what we've experienced, what we've learned. Thank you for the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Lord, we ask your blessing on this evening as we give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.